Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of How We Roll Podcast. Hi. We're an RPG-based podcast, and we focus on Call of Cthulhu, some Dungeons and Dragons, and occasionally one-off campaigns. Interesting. If you're interested in contacting us and want to know where you can find our podcasts, you can visit HowWeRollPodcast.com, which offers links to Twitter, Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, Reddit, and Twitch. What? If you enjoy what we do and want to support us, you can donate to us on Patreon. And with that said, let's get on with the show. Yes, please, please, just get on with the show. Yes. Okay, welcome to How We Roll Podcast. We do our best to uh, bring horror and maybe comedy um, to your otherwise <laughs> dull day. Uh, my name's Joe and I'm the Keeper tonight and we're playing a game from the brand new Doors to Darkness, five scenarios for beginning Keeper's handbook. And I'm joined tonight by four extremely talented players with mixed RPG experience. In no particular order, do you want to introduce yourselves and your characters for our, um, uh, I guess, to our, our current and new listeners? So, uh, Owen, do you want to start us off? Yeah, so I'm on, guys. Back after uh, the end of a glorious streak. I was the only player who hadn't missed an episode up to last week's recording, after two years. Um, I'm generally the guy who makes the terrible puns and dies a lot. I'm playing a character that's a parapsychologist who's huge, um, was in the war, <laughs> um, ran into a ghost in a churchyard, and has basically tried to capture one ever since on camera. It's kind of his goal in life. Maximilian Hurst is his name, actually, which is probably important. Hi, my name's Dave. I'm playing Clinton Harper. I am a smart, good-looking, well-dressed uh, son of a bitch, I think. Though I'm always a son of a bitch in these games, true to life. Method acting, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> my name is Kern, and I uh, I joined this podcast, what was it, like 18 months ago? Day one. Mm. February 15th. Episode one. Yeah. Oh, it's almost two years then. Um, so I hadn't played any RPGs before that. Obviously, I'd heard of things like Dungeons and Dragons, but um, yeah, I've just been sort of uh, exploring this world, and uh, I find myself enjoying Call of Cthulhu quite a bit. And today, I will be playing Michael Rasner, also known as the Bull, an ex-boxer, forty years old and from New York. You know. Um, so I'm going to be throwing some punches. I famously once tried to uh, punch a man in the throat and then punch him in the chest to resuscitate him. He died, and we disposed of his body by throwing him into the fire, which was also caused by his There's failure. a lot of we, a lot of we in this story. <laughs> say we. A lot of that has to do with uh, Ben. But he's not here to defend himself, so let's just say he did it. He was left somewhere there, kind of thought. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Hi, um, my name's Aaron. I've again been here since uh, way back in the day, day one, and uh, originally um, started playing uh, a well-known character to the to the podcast known as Spencer Randall. But tonight, ladies and gentlemen, I will be playing a different character altogether. Um, I will be playing the part of Dr. John Lucas, who is a uh, physician, uh, 37 years of age, and a uh, skilled healer and uh, doctor working in the, uh, well, used to work in the New York area. Um, occasionally served as a medical consultant uh, to several uh, writer friends who specialize in detective fiction, as well as assisting uh, several legal firms as a medical, I'll, I'll say that again, medical expert in uh, injury cases. 
And as we discussed before the show, you also currently work at the Miskatonic University because otherwise the story doesn't work. <laughs> That's right. I'm I'm currently working there um, as a, as a favour to a friend. Brilliant. Um, now you know the players, we're going to start the game. As I said, we're playing a game called, uh, a scenario called Ties That Bind, which comes from the brand new Chaosium release, Doors to Darkness. Um, I've made a few changes, um, including the way it starts. So we're going to start off with uh, Dave and Curran's character. You both work for a medium sized private detective agency, and you've been called out uh, on this late October morning. Um, well, let me start and you'll find out exactly what you're doing. It was about 11 o'clock in the morning, mid-October, with the sun not shining and a look of hard wet rain in the dusky grey of the clouds. You're both wearing your best suits, one grey, the other powder blue. Black brogues, black wool socks. You're both neat, clean, shaved and sober. You are everything the well-dressed private detective ought to be, as you are calling on one of the richest families in Boston. A General Carrington has contacted your firm regarding his daughter. Very few details have been given, but the money's good, and you didn't have far to go. You drive up the long private road, tree-lined, with the wind blowing through the open windows of your car, and as you approach the large iron gates, which are currently ajar, um, you notice there is a, a car parked off, sort of at the side of the road. Um, I'd say it's a, a dirty, rusty pickup truck definitely second hand if not third or maybe even fourth hand and a young man um, sort of sees you coming and hesitantly steps into the road and uh, waves you down who's this guy I don't know roll down your window and talk to him roll down my window <laughs> I think I did say the windows yeah I know <laughs> what do you want um, he kind of like beckons you to the, the side. Um, Alright, should we get out of the car? You think, or oh, maybe we should just drive over? You get out, I'll back you up. Alright, so uh, I get out, I crack my knuckles, and I start walking towards him. Okay, I mean, he's young, um, probably a labourer by the way he's dressed and the, the sort of, sort of uh, tin, tin in his voice, I guess. And he sort of beckons you over and goes, Are you guys going to the Carrington place? Yeah, we're going over to the Carrington place. Uh, what's it to you? Kind of looks one way and the other and says, Would you would you do me a favour? Uh, would you just drop off uh, this this note? Um, I need you to be a bit, um, how can we say, uh, discreet with it. Uh, I, I, need you to, I need you to drop it off to, to, to Mar Mary Carrington. Uh, but please, don't let anyone else see you doing it. Uh, I, I can pay you. What's your name, kid? Um, and he sort of looks to one side. George. Uh, George. George. George Mello. Son. What's Dave's character called? Clinton Harper. Clinton. So I'm going to gesture over Clinton. Clinton, come here. This kid, George, said I'm just, because I'm assuming I'm a bit of an oaf, so... <laughs> I have not caught on at all that his name is not George. Uh, this kid, George, wants us to take some stuff up to, you know, Mary. You want us to take some stuff up to the big house? Why don't you deliver it yourself, son? Oh, uh, please, uh, I, I, I can pay you. Just just 
just if you just drop it off, it, it'd be no bother to you, but it, it'd be doing me an awful, awful big favour, uh, if you wouldn't mind. And he sort of opens up his wallet, and you see that it is basically empty, but he pulls out mm. the single $1 bill and, and hands it to you, along with this, this really small folded uh, note. I feel like I should cripple him for the insult, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if uh, I'm in the love letter delivering business there, son. Oh, uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's not a love letter. And he, like, goes bright red. <laughs> well, we've all been there. Keep your money. Oh, much, much obliged, much obliged. I'll take the letter off him. If anyone asks, you didn't, you didn't see me here, particularly the foreman. I, I wasn't here. And he jumps into his car, or runs towards Did I get a good look at what he was wearing? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and his face and everything. I could describe him relatively yeah. well, yeah. Okay. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. And he hands you the letter. Um, it's, it's folded. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you hear the car start up and he zooms off. Hmm. Dumb kids. <laughs> Better carry on. Okay, as you uh, drive down the road, uh, there's a, I guess, like a, a guard sort of opens up the large iron gates and lets you through. Um, you make your way... Um, sort of down the long driveway, park up. Um, a butler takes your car keys and uh, drives your car off round the side of the house and you approach the main doors. Again, um, the doors are partly open, but there's no sign of anyone else around. Uh, did we see the butler come out of the house? I don't think it was a butler. I think I misspoke. It'd be more like a... A, a footman? Yeah, yeah, that would do. In, ground, in, in great houses, they're called footmen. Okay, um... I guess I'll knock on the door. As you knock on, the door actually opens and uh, the main hallway is revealed. Um, it's about two stories high, above the entrance doors, which are wide enough to probably let, let in a troop of Indian elephants. There is a broad stained glass panel showing a knight in dark armour rescuing a lady who was tied to a tree and didn't actually have any clothes on, but did have does have some very long and convenient hair. Um, at the back of the hallway, looking through the house, um, you see um, uh, a, a set of French doors, and through them there's a, a sweep of emerald gl- grass and a lot of hustle and bustle around a large ornate fountain. You see, looking right through the hallway and through the back of the house, there are builders, a couple of people that look like police, um, and even a couple of studious-looking fellows that have the look of scientists or maybe doctors. Um, Beyond the fountain, there are some decorative trees, trimmed carefully as poodle dogs, and beyond them, a large large house with a domed roof that looks to be under construction. Then more trees, and then the the footholds behind. Um, Stepping into the large hallway, you see on the east side of the room is a free staircase, tile-paved, and it rises to a gallery with a wrought iron railing, and another kind of stained-glass romance there. Um, around you are uh, a number of hard tra- chairs that probably no one's really ever sat on. Um, and to your left is a large fireplace with a huge portrait above it. Who's the portrait of? Um, you kind of step forward and you see that the portrait is of a, a sort of stiffly posed job of a, an officer in full re- regimentals. Um, judging by the way he's dressed, you probably guessed the sort of Mexican war. Hmm. Um, the officer has a neat black imperial black mustachios, hot, hard, coal black eyes, and the general look of a man it would pay to get along with. Um, you find, as you're staring up 
at the uh, the picture that someone is walking down the stairs towards you um, they're sort of you can't quite see them at first and then when you as, as they step down closer you realize it was not the butler or anyone to greet you um, that works for the household but a girl um, you guess about 20 small delicately put together um, but she does look durable um, she wears pale blue slacks um, and she walks as if she was floating um, as she looks at you, you see her eyes are slate grey and have almost no expression. Hmm. She comes over to you, little smile on her mouth with neat, sharp, predatory teeth as white as fresh orange pits and as shiny as porcelain. They glisten between her thin and too taut lips. Her face lacks colour and doesn't look too healthy. You're tall, aren't you? She says, looking up at uh, your character, Curran. Michael, yeah, the bull. I look back at her and I go, uh, <clears throat> you walk funny and you, you're pale with your weird thin lips. So, uh, <laughs> what's your name? <laughs> not, not a ladies man. <laughs> He's not a ladies man. I, I, I gibbs, I gibbs slap the, uh, Michael up the back of the head. like, That's no way to talk to a lady. Especially one as pretty as this little one is. How are you, darling? You're handsome and I bet you know it too. And she giggles again. Oh, it's always Dave and Joe flirting. It may have been commented upon once or twice before. What's your name? Uh, my name's Clinton. <laughs> Clinton Harper. Clint to my friends. That's a funny name. And she kind of like looks at you and uh, flashes her eyelids. Um, you get the impression that it's a well-practiced look that's supposed to make you kind of like roll back on uh, on all four paws. Uh, so roll onto your back with all four paws in the air. And she looks at you, Curran. Are you, are you a, a prizefighter? I used to be. But I'm too old for that now, so uh, I, work, uh, I work this job. She seems to be kind of like waiting for something, sort of looking at you both. Uh, is your name Mary by any chance? <laughs> it, it surely is, yeah. Do you know a little boy called George who's like real poor? <laughs> Yeah, literally has a dollar to his name. Uh, n- <laughs> no. Uh, and she giggles again. But you're cute. <laughs> uh, can I describe the boy to her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I can't remember the words you used to describe him. <laughs> you can just describe him, that's fine. Yeah. Um, n- no, don't, don't, don't think I know who that is. Although she does look to one side when you say it. Hmm. Why? Well, why, uh, why are you asking? Well, that's a shame, because I never give packages from, you know, unknown people to young girls. Sort of start just tossing the package in my hand in front of me. Like, uh, I guess I'll just have to get rid of this. It's not a package as such, but a small letter. like uh, A small note. So I'm just yeah. sort of fiddling, sort of twiddling it between my fingers then. I guess I'll just have to get rid of this. Maybe. Is there a fireplace anywhere nearby? <laughs> Right there, next to the portrait. She she, uh, she turns around lithely, and without lifting her feet, her hands drop limp to her sides. Um, She then tilts towards you and falls straight towards you backwards, Dave. We do not catch her. Um, (laughs) Dear diary, jackpot. (laughs) No, basically, definitely catch her. The way that she's falling, um, if you don't catch her, she's going to crack her head on the floor. I, I, I definitely catch her. Can I just push her? My hero, she says, and, and you realise that the note is now in her hand. 
Oh, she must have like sleight of hand 70. Bitch. <laughs> Hello. Um, from behind. Oh, uh, I am loving how big sleep this whole thing is. This is amazing. From behind, you hear the door opening. Um, excuse me. Um, um, it's like a, bu- a butler, but obviously not really wanting to uh, disturb the situation of you holding this young girl, isn't he? <laughs> yes, holding this girl in my arms. <laughs> I don't um, think you're disturbing anything, sir. Sort of lift her to her feet and just uh, sort of give her a slight on her shoulders, brush down. <laughs> you carry it, carry on, little lady. She gives you a wink and runs back up the stairs. The the, uh, ge- the general will see you now if if you're ready. All right. Come on, Clinton. Let's go. Okay, and um, you head off uh, following the butler, um, actually out the back doors towards the um, the large fountain. And we're going to flip the story over to, uh, is it Maximilian Hurst and Dr. John Lucas? Hurst, please. Hurst, I apologise. It's an okay, I, not a you. You both work for the Miskatonic University in uh, different capacities. Um, this morning it appears that one... Hang on, let me just check my names. Uh, let's just say one Miss uh, Carrington, um, who has significant... Um, what's, it, what's the word? Sort of like... Um, Buzzums? <laughs> possibly. Uh, as, a, as, a, as a large reputation in the Boston area. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, she is uh, called the university at university and demanded that experts be sent over immediately to see something strange that has turned up in her garden. What did her name was again? Sorry, Mister Stars. Um, let's. Uh, I can uh, probably should look up her first name. It'll just take me a moment. Well, Miss whatever. Um, Miss Miss Enid Carrington. Enid. Um. So whoever it is that took the message um, said that some rocks have been, some very, very strange rocks have been found and the, the, the university, which receives significant funding from the Carrington Foundation on a yearly basis, must immediately send two experts over. Unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, you were the only two walking by at the time with a phone call and perhaps the dean of the university basically collared you and sent you on your way. Um, do either of you have transport or would you be um, requiring another uh, form? I, I have a car. Why not? If I can get away with it. I do what's, have my own transport ready. What's your... I mean, you're a doctor, aren't you? So you definitely have your own. Indeed, I am. <laughs> Why do so, we keep giving Aaron the cars? What's the worst <laughs> that's ever gone wrong? Jesus Christ. <laughs> do you know how high my dodge ro- uh, my drive roll is on Spencer? It, yes, I know. That's the problem. <laughs> I just... I don't think it's going to be that high in this guy. I'm really worried. Probably not. I don't actually know where it is on this guy, but oh, so I'm guessing like it's, the, it's the basic, base, if it's which yeah. is like twenty, is it? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Drive on or twenty. I also have twenty though, so we're good. Maybe. But I do have a Buick One Twenty One automobile. So that's quite okay. Nice. So you uh, you arrive um, in this. It's actually a before the other two. Um, you arrive at this large house. There was no sign of anyone on the road when you were driving by, and the uh, what did we say it was? The footman takes your car and you're led through the house by a rather gruff, stern-looking butler. Um, you're taken through a large hallway and out the back. 
Um, you see, in the centre of what was to be Enid Carrington's new rose garden is the wreckage of an imported Italian marble statue and a much disturbed fountain area. The statue, which had been standing in the middle of a 20-foot diameter circular pond, has been knocked over and lies in multiple pieces in the water and in the waterlogged grass nearby. Um, what, what's your intelligence, guys? 75. Uh, 85. Okay, you don't need to roll from this. You realise that a marble statue of this weight would have needed significant force for it, um, not only for it to be just shattered in the way, but for it to land over 10 feet from its um, original position. And as you, you're led by the butner, butler towards when the hustle and bustle, you sort of ponder what on earth could have happened here. And when you say we see it like that far from the pedestal, it's like impacted into the ground, like it's been thrown clearly across the, the yard, yeah? Oh yeah, so something, well, I mean, as you, as you muse on what could have happened, yeah, maybe something heavy or hard has crashed into it um, and sent it flying in the opposite direction, shattering it into a number of pieces, and it is embedded in the, the waterlogged grass, um, presumably smashing the side of the fountain, which is why the grass is so soaked. Um, as you approach a, a rather good-looking, fashionably-dressed lady, probably in her mid-thirties, um, hair up in a bun, um, stops yelling at a number of workers and a very um, battered-looking police officer, um, and steps over to you. So, uh, you've finally arrived. Here is the centrepiece of my grows garden. Isn't it lovely? The sarcasm in her voice is palpable. What on earth happened here? This is, um, this is quite the accident that happened, isn't it? Well, the cretins, and she looks over at the police officer again, left this mess in the water of my fountain. Uh, they're, they're, this is what I want you to look at. I had the men remove it so they could get right to work on repairs. And she leans over. No, not like that! As, as there's like four men trying to lift up the fountain. Be careful, that's imported from Europe. Uh, not the fountain, sorry, the statue. Yeah, the water came from Europe. Miss <laughs> uh, Carrington, yes? do, you, do you mind if I call you Enid? She gives you a withering stare. Miss Carrington will do, thank you very much. Miss Carrington, um, Ma Maximilian Hurst, uh, parapsychologist extraordinaire. I'm going to hand her like a card with like really terrible gold type and like cobwebs in the corner. This is a business card. <laughs> I, I mean, there was a port of... Sure. I've heard reports of weird activity in the area, and and I mean the message wasn't very clear. What did you see, or what is what's happened here? Just did you just come upon this wreckage? Is there any clues, any leads? As I've just explaining to this useless police officer, she kind of like give glares at the man again, who's like trying to get to the fountain, but obviously doesn't want to get his shoes wet. Um, Where's Dave's the clues voice when you need it? Come on, Joe. <laughs> I'll be there in a minute just excuse me I need to take off my shoes um you don't have a pair of galoshes I could borrow no okay then fine and he like tries to go round the fountain to find a drier <laughs> approach <laughs> um okay so last night we heard a huge crash from outside um the butler went out he's he, he, he didn't know what was happening I uh, said it was too dark and well, he looked, he looked terrified, to be honest, and once we'd got a few more people out there, um, the lamps, whoever had done this, were gone. The fountain was as it, as it is. Um, the 
cretins had left something horrible in the base. Um, it's in. It's over there. You can have a look. Um, and these pol these expert policemen, and she points towards um, the guy who's now sort of about ankle deep in the mud. Um, uh, are going to find him, I'm sure. But I, what I need you to do is to f tell me exactly what was left in the fountain. Uh, very good. Can we, can we see the the gift that was left to you? Of course. Will you follow me? Um, and she uh, she leads you towards um, like a large construction site. It looks like they're building another smaller house or maybe a ballroom or, or something out the back. Um, but underneath it, there's a, a cellar and a large metal door um, is set into it. Okay. So outside the uh, the cellar door, um, there are three workmen who are standing as if on guard. Um, she has a key um, and she unlocks it um, and you are inside. Uh, inside it is dark. Um, there are a number of pieces of marble statuary, um, obviously very expensive. Um, you get the impression that each one was probably about as much as, perhaps not you Aaron, but as much as an average person owns in an entire year. Um, there's also like some wrought, wrought, wrought iron railings and fences. There's some landscaping tools, like sort of picks and shovels and wheelbarrows. And on a rough work table um, beneath uh, a lamp, there are some strange rocks. Here they are. Um, these were the ones that were found. I'm hoping that you're, with your scientific credentials, you can see if. Maybe identify them and tell me if they're worth any money. I mean, they're they're quite pretty. Can I um, can I inspect the rocks? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. So you you hold them up. Um, you can see like as soon as you touch them, you realise that there's they're not made of stone at all. Um, they're probably closer in texture to maybe coral or shells, and they look like a bunch of swollen, petrified bananas. Um, there are four layers of maybe five to six bananas, as it were, in each layer. Um, and it looks maybe as if some of them have been broken off. Um, each fruit-like thing looks like it's made of translucent mother of pearl, with the stems looking to be made of like a bluish granite coloured coral. Some of it's possibly attractive. Um, maybe I can get something out of this fiasco. What do you think? Have you seen anything like that before? That description was really confusing. Like, holy shit! It was really confusing. There were bananas, and there was layers, and there was layers to the bananas that were broken off. Jesus Christ! <laughs> so Im imagine like a huge bunch of bananas. Okay. Um, so, um, so different, and when you get a huge bunch of bananas, they're in different layers, aren't they? Yes, that makes more sense. Okay. So within each layer, there's about five of these, as they were, fingers. sort of bananary things. Okay. Yeah, fingers. Um, each one of those looks like they're made of this kind of coral. Um, Mother of Pearl, translucent coral. Yeah, exactly. And then the base of them, you know, like where it would ha attach the tree, that's like this kind of blue, blue granite-coloured coral, as it were. Um, but when you look at them more closely, it does look like some of the bananas have been broken off. Hmm. Would our characters ever have encountered anything like this? Before? I was going to say, can I do a, nat a, a nature world check on it because I do have. Yeah, art. if you you can give me a Is science roll, you can be a medicine roll. If you've got a biology roll, you can roll with advantage. I can roll you a biology roll. I can roll you a natural world, but I'm on the can I roll occult on them? Yep. 
and my first roll was a 13 out of 70. Okay, this is nothing like anything you've ever seen before in your life. Like, it doesn't even see like it's from this world, and I want you to give me a sanity check. That was helpful. (laughs) Fantastic. Um, Now I've just got to work out what sanity is. 50, isn't it, by default? It's the same as your power. No, it'll be on your... um, Oh, power. Okay, well, power, I roll 78 out of 60. Okay, so you fail. Um, You lose one sanity. And you kind of like, rock. Sorry, we're good. You you kind of have a panic and you drop them. Can I try and catch them as reflex? How I don't know how I do that in this game. There's no reflex. Yeah, there. just just give me a dex roll because you're like leant right over him. Oh bollocks! I am not that. that I'm fifty. I'm not that dexterous, but I'm a big fucker. But surprisingly quick on my feet. Thirty six. And as I catch them, can I do my roll which I rolled earlier for my occult, which is twenty six versus sixty five? Okay, um, 26 versus 65, no, although you do vaguely remember reading about something about them in the Miskatonic, something that sounded like this in the uh, in a book in the Miskatonic Library, but you don't really remember what it was, you just remember someone describing something a bit like this. Okay. So, However, when you do catch them, um, it ca- they catch the light in the way that... The light shines through them, and there seems to be, within each and every one, something floating inside, like suspended inside water. And you get the impression that these might be eggs. Cool. And we're going to flip over the... um, uh, If you want to do one one more thing, you can. I do want to do one more thing. So I've just noticed I've caught it, I'm assuming kind of no one else has tweaked it. Is there any chance I can, like try and catch it in a way that accidentally breaks one off and I pocket it. Like, make it look like all part of one motion. Yeah, definitely. Can you give me a... Slight of hand. Slight of hand, strength. yeah. Break okay. <laughs> no. Slight of hand if you can do it without anyone seeing it. Oh, boy. I really was hoping for something higher than a 10% roll. I mean, it, the uh, other thing... I mean, right now, Enid's like... She's in the room looking, but she's giving you space. So, this is to avoid Enid looking. Like, there's so, n- with advantage... It's very, yourself. very difficult to... Um, um, do it without Aaron's character seeing, but no, you do. Fifty-nine versus ten. God damn it! What on earth are you doing? Like C- catching, catching. Put your that down. Thing. E. Your banana tree thing. Put that down immediately. I will not we- allow any more to be to be removed from this cellar. Fair and enough. that word "any more" catches your attention, as there are some missing. And at that moment, we're going to flip over to David uh, Curran. Dun, dun, dun. So, okay. Uh, what are you up to, man? What's going on? <laughs> so you follow the butler, and um, you go out the French doors and along a smooth red flagged path that skirts the far side of the, l- the lawn from the fountain. You see that the hustle and bustle is focused on the large white marble fountain and where a large statue has been smashed and thrown across the grass with some tremendous force. Um, the path takes you along... Um, to the side of the house where a large greenhouse is. The butler opens a door for you and stands aside. It opens into a sort of vestibule, which is about as warm as a slow oven. He comes in after you and shuts the outer door and then opens an inner door, motioning you to go through it. After you, please. Uh, 
Thanks. Step through. So we just walk through. It is really it. hot in here. The air is Take thick, wet, steamy, and larded with the cloying smell of tropical orchards in bloom. The glass walls and roof are heavily misted and big drops of moisture splash down on the plants. The light has an unreal greenish colour, like light filtered through an aquarium tank. The plants fill the place, a forest of them, with nasty meaty leaves and stalks like the newly washed fingers of dead men. They smell as overpowering as boiling alcohol under a blanket. The butler does his best to get you through without being smacked in the face by the sodden leaves, and after a short while you come to a clearing in the middle of the jungle, under the domed roof. Here, in a space of hexagonal flags and old red Turkish rugs lay down, and on the rug is a wheelchair, and in the wheelchair an old and obviously dying man, watching you come in with black eyes from which all the fire had died long ago, but from which still has the cold black directness of the eyes in the portrait that hung over the mantle in the hall. The rest of his face, it was a leaden mask with bloodless lips, a sharp nose and sunken temples. His long, narrow body is wrapped in a, in a travelling rod as well as, and he's wearing a faded bathrobe. His thin, claw-like hands are folded loosely on the rug, purple-nailed. Um, a few locks of dry white hair cling to his scalp like wild flowers fighting for life on a bare rock. The butler stands in front of him and said, these are the detectives, General. The old man doesn't move or speak or even nod. He just looks at you lifelessly. The butler push, pushes a damp wicker chair um, against your legs, Dave, and you find yourself sitting down. He takes your hat with a deft scoop and then goes off to find another chair for you, Curran. Then the old man drags his voice up from the bottom of a well and says, Brandy, Norris! And you two, how do you like your brandy, sirs? Uh, straight up, sir. Straight up, indeed. <laughs> I used to like mine with champagne. Champagne as cold as the Valley Forge and about a third of a glass of brandy beneath it. You may take off your your jumpers and your... Sh what would it be? Your coat, sir. It's too hot in here for men with, with blood in their veins. Okay, I'll, I'll uh, take my jacket off and, and loosen my tie while I'm mm. at it. Same. You may smoke as well. I like the smell of tobacco. Well, uh, I don't mind if I do, but... Would you like one? No. It's a nice state of affairs when a man has to indulge his vices by proxy. You're looking at a very dull survival of a rather gaudy life. A cripple... Paralyzed in both legs and with only half of his lower belly. There's very little that I can eat and my sleep is so close to waking that it's hardly worth the name. I seem to exist largely on heat, like a newborn spider. And these orchids are an excuse for the heat. Do you like orchids? Can't say I've ever had uh, much of an in opportunity or inclination for the, in for the hobby. They are nasty things. Their flesh is too much like the flesh of men, and their perfume has the rotten sweetness of a prostitute. <laughs> I'm laughing in, in character, by the way. <laughs> At this point, I just I light a cigarette and just take the longest drag 
and blow out some luxurious smoke rings. He like sort of sniffs it in like uh, like he's sniffing in the most beautiful perfume. Then he leans back with a sigh. Um, somewhere in the distance, you think you hear uh, a car, a loud one, start up and leave. Hmm. Oh, there she goes again. Do you know why you're here, gentlemen? Um. Uh, no, sir. Your your man didn't say anything on the phone. Well, my daughter Enid called up your agency about some frivolous affair of hers, but I had my butler waylay you on the way to her. I need you to do me a favor. My youngest daughter, you may have heard of her, Mary Carrington. Yeah. Uh, not heard of her, sir, but uh, I think I may have met her in the, uh, in the vestibule. Well, she's a wayward girl, easily led. I think that's the nice way of saying it. I should have spent way more time with her when, when, I, when I could. But I fear she's grown up like her mother. And he, like, sneers. <laughs> anyway, she had an affair with a fellow at the Miskatonic. A nasty young man with obsessions with alienism in the occult. However, I got wind of it. Um, at that moment, the butler arrives with um, a, a large glass of brandy for each of you, which um, have been filled up to the brim with champagne on top. Oh, thank you. So this man that uh, that you, your daughter's done fraternizing with, is his name by any chance George? No. No, I think it was Michael. Michael Jeffers or some sort. Michael's a good name. I don't know about Jeffers, but yeah. Um, so what exactly is it you want us to do about this? Well, that Jeffers, I, I had someone waylay him, and he took the hint, and as from what I understand, he now leaves her alone. However, I think she knows of my involvement. And ever since then, she has become more distant and more secretive, if, if that were possible. And I feel... I feel she's seeing someone else. And I want you to find out who. And I want you to find out if they're suitable. I'll pay you $30 a day each, plus expenses, if you can do it quickly. Uh, at this point, I take a, a, a rather large drink. I, I, I think that'll do. That'll do nicely, sir. Um, he calls the butler over. Pay them in advance. I want this sorted quickly. Find out who he is and make sure if he's not suitable that he is dealt with. And don't let my daughter know what you're doing. Either of my daughters. Of, of course, sir. I, I think we can handle that just, just fine. Shouldn't be a problem. Sort of slowly, dra get up as I get up, but sort of slowly drain my drink, and just put it down. Right. Well, I'm gonna try and sleep if that's possible. I'd like to hear from you today if you can. It's kind of a tall order, but sure. <laughs> sort of kick him in the shoulder and like, <laughs> give him a look of. $30! You know, I'm not saying anything, but the, the, shut up, you idiot. $30 a day! It's an enormous sum of, sum of money for this. Um, <laughs> and the little wizened old man is, is um, 
sort of lifts up his legs as, uh, with his hands and places them on the base of the wheelchair, and then the butler begins to wheel him off. You can see yourself out, gentlemen. Thank you very much for your hospitality, and I will be looking forward to leaving the sauna and, uh, you know, finding out who your daughter's seeing. We'll see you later today, yeah? And he makes no move as you, um, he disappears in the opposite direction through the foliage. We'll head back to the main house yeah. then. Okay, as you exit the greenhouse, um, you hear an argument. Um, what do you mean you haven't heard anything? You haven't found anything? Well, I'm afraid there are no clues beyond the broken fountain. Um, I mean, it's obviously it's been broken with some force. Um, was it windy here last night? Windy? And you see that the, a very uh, attractive woman, probably in her mid-thirties, is arguing very nearby um, with a police officer. Does um, she look anything like Lauren Bacall? I don't know who that <laughs> is. What? You're the old one. You're supposed to know old people. <laughs> Looks like who? <laughs> Lauren Bacall. <laughs> no, don't mind. Sorry. Um, the door sort of behind you slams with a thud. Uh, and the woman turns round. There you are! What on earth were you doing in the greenhouse? I'm afraid your uh, father had some business for us to look into. Oh, that old fool. Just ignore him. I'm the one that called you. Right, come here. And you, you can just go. I think we've had enough of your services. Well, uh, I suppose I've done my job. Could you just sign here so that I can show the captain that I have been here and I've done my... Just get out! And... Uh, mm the tiny little policeman disappears off. Right. Last night we had a breaking and some awful brutes broke my fountain. I called you because the locals constabulary are, are obviously useless. I need you to find out what happened. Oh, uh, where exactly was the breaking? Well, we do. She points to the, um, the fountain. Some people came in last night and broke my beautiful statue. And you see this, like, sort of cherub that's been shattered. Um, and left something horrible. Ah, uh, there they are. Ask those two. Um, and you see um, two guys emerging from what seems to be a cellar under the building site. Mm, I'm going to go. I'm going to head over to the, those um, guys. What would be our normal uh, rate of fees? Like um, five dollars a day plus. Yeah, it'd be much more along those lines. Yeah, which is what she's going to offer you now. Um, I, your your office said um, around five dollars a day plus expenses. Um, I would like this done immediately, and I would like to know exactly what you're doing. So, daily updates, please. Oh, that could be arranged, uh, miss. Um, you can talk to those two. They know the details. Anyway, I need to go and sort this out. Uh, very well, ma'am. As she turns and walk away, I give her ass a long, hard stare. <laughs> scumbag love it okay I, i'll explain um, why in a minute <laughs> so i'm walking over to these two guys uh, are you gonna like, redeem hey, it somehow with this guys it's gonna be what happened to the fountain what happened to the fountain um well we we got a call from the dean of the university to come out and investigate some some weird going ons and this lady just said this broke we we know we know nothing she showed us some sort of weird glassy marbly Coral excuse me, excuse structure. me, and I, I kind of stop Hurst in his in his tracks. But can you tell me who you are, friend? Uh, the name is Michael, Michael Raisner. 
I'm uh, I work with uh, that guy over there. Okay, and who's your friend here? Uh, Clint Harper's the name. Clint to oh. my friends. You can call me Mr. Harper. Okay, Mr. Harper and Mr. Rasner. Um, what what are you doing here? Well, uh, the owners of this house have employed us to as um, extra legal counsel in the investigation of the goings-on. I yeah. see. You are with the police? I said extra legal, not legal. <laughs> We're private investigators. Right, right, I see. Well, what have we got here then? And I kind of explain the... Um, what we've what we've seen inside the shed, the the very strange stones and um, what they looked like, and the fact that they are very odd. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to listen to next week's episode right now, then visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash howwerollpodcast. All donations we receive help us keep going and keep podcasting. Before we go, just want to draw your attention to Stygian Fox's recent Kickstarter. It's called Fear's Sharp Little Needles, and it's a book of around 20 gruesome Call of Call of Cthulhu scenarios, each designed to be played in one evening. It's the same team that created The Things We Leave Behind, and it has some amazing authors involved, including Jeff Moller, Scott Dorward, and it even has a scenario written by me. The Kickstarter was funded in just over five hours, and is now bowling through stretch goals so if this sounds like something you'd be interested in you can find it through our twitter hwr podcast our facebook or by searching for fear sharp little needles as always thanks for listening see you next time